Thanks for joining us for today's message. Our mission here at Plum Creek is to help you experience intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. Our hope is that what you hear today will impact and challenge you to love God and the people around you in a whole new way. We'd encourage you to check us out online at PlumCreekOnline.com to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we might have for you or for your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through our website, PlumCreekOnline.com slash give or via text. Just text any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. Thanks again for joining us today. But we're starting a new series <clears throat> called 6-8. If you have your Bibles, begin to look right now for a book called Micah. It might take you a little while. Let me give a quick shout out to those that are watching online. Thank you for joining us that way. We're glad that you're keeping up with what's happening here at Plum Creek. We wish you could be here uh, and hopefully you, hopefully you can soon. Uh, so here's, here's where we need to go today. <clears throat> raise your hand if the good news has impacted your life. Just raise your hand. Let's just talk about that for a minute. It is good news that God loves you. Agreed? You're not convinced. God loves you. Is that a big deal? Yes, he loves you so much that even, even in the middle of our, of our failures and falling short of God's perfect standard, he makes a way for us to be in right relationship with him. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So he sends his son to come and die on a cross, right? And when he died on that cross, he bore our sins. That's good news, is it not? That is good news. Now, he just didn't stay on a cross, but he's still alive. And he's changing us. He's changing us. Relationship with him that goes on. That's good news, isn't it? Not only that, but we have hope for eternity. That's a big deal, is it not? Okay, so here's the deal. We talk about changed lives, changing lives. And when that message is more than just something that theo, uh, theo, theo, people who, theo, theo, I can't even say it. Thank you, theologians. I messed it up in the last service too. Can't even say it. That helps you know I'm not one, right? It's not just something that's in a book. It's not something we just talk about at church. But it's something that truly has changed us. And now we own this good news with a responsibility, right? A responsibility that our lives would be so changed by it that it would also impact the lives of people around us as well. Changed lives, changing lives. Now, here's the deal. We know that once that has truly impacted and changed us, it comes with a responsibility, doesn't it? A responsibility. In 1 John 2, 6, it'll be on the screen. It says this, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. It's not just enough to embrace the good news as being something that is for you, accepting what he did on the cross, but now it must force a change in the way that we live. There's lots of ways <clears throat> that we get to this place in our life where we would ask this question, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? And I, 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 I venture to guess you've said that before. And maybe it's just in a moment of closeness. Maybe it's a, you've had this, um, just, just you feel dialed in in your walk with God when you're reading. It seems as though it's like even his voice speaking to you. When you're praying, it feels like you're talking to a very close, dear friend, as it should. When you worship, even like we just did, man, you're just, the words of the songs we sang today, 
absolutely powerful. I hope they didn't just kind of make their way as notes out the door without really touching your heart. But there's times where you feel really connected and you just say, God, what do you want? I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. What do you want from me? Or maybe it's in a a difficult circumstance or a challenging time of life and you're just desperate for divine intervention. Have you been there before? And you're just saying, God, I want to have your favor on my life. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? This passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks together is, is, a, is a time in the nation of, of Israel's life where they're asking this same question, what do you want from me? Did you find Micah yet? It's right in between Jonah and Nahum. It's actually page 1083 where you need to be if you have the right Bible. <clears throat> so let me give you a little history. The nation of Israel, just like us, has up times and down times in their walk with God. Sometimes they're dialed in well, and sometimes they're even running from him. Sometimes things are going really great, and sometimes the culture has begun to impact them to the point where they've kind of wandered away from the Lord. And where we're going to pick up this story today is when Israel has walked away from God again, so much so that even some of the other cultures, gods, have worked their way into their spiritual expression, right? You guys might remember, I could teach you, and I have before, we need to do it again, I've learned over this weekend, that God doesn't like that, right? Do you remember when, for those of you that were here, back in the theater days, do you remember when we did the Ten Commandments? What's the first one? I could teach you ten quick things that would help you remember the Ten Commandments in order. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were in school and you made your teacher disappear? That's no other gods before me, right? That's that one. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. What's the second one? We put nothing above God, right? No idols, no idols. Those are the first, but his nation had done that. They had other gods, and they had idols. And you know what that does? That ticks God off, because he's jealous. He wants there to only be one God, nothing else in between you and your relationship with him, not even Pokemon, (laughs) right? Can you believe that? We were a Poke stop last night with, what did they drop? Lures, thank you. We paid to drop Pokemon lures at church last night. And we had people here with their phones catching pokey things. No other gods before you. But just like us, they had turned their backs on God, and if we're not careful, this world around us can cause us to conform to to the philosophies that are communicated to us. And if we're not careful, we can even get to the place where we could abandon, like they did, our relationships with God and forgetting uh, the covenants that they had made with him, we can forget the promises that we've made and that he's made to us too. And there's significant consequences when we do this. Any time that we turn our backs on God, things don't go well and you for sure don't have his favor on your life. So what God would do is he would send prophets to communicate, to challenge the nation of Israel so that they would be able to hear and understand. And usually it took lots of pain for them to listen well. Once things got uncomfortable enough, it seemed like then their ears were softened to be able to hear the challenge to get things right with God again. And sometimes that's true for us too, right? Sometimes it takes some pretty crazy stuff for us to be shaken to the point where we are ready to hear and have ears that hear his voice. During Micah's time, this is exactly what was happening. Um, This takes place somewhere around 735 to 700 B.C., Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. Now, that's a much easier book to find, isn't it? Because it's a lot bigger. So Isaiah and Micah, they're they're running at the same time trying to help the nation of Israel. 
get some things squared away. They were prophesying during this tragic time when Assyria had conquered Samaria, they had occupied Judah, and they had taken over the holy city of Jerusalem. So Micah chapter 6 involves this kind of imaginary conversation uh, between the Lord and the nation of Israel. In verses 1 through 5 of Micah 6, the Lord introduces his case against them to help them understand what has gone wrong. Why are you in the place that you're in? Why is your relationship with me not working the way that it should? And then verses 6 through 7, we record Israel's response. And then Micah 6, 8, where we're going to land during this series, is God's answer to their response. So here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in to verse 6. It's one of those moments where this nation is asking God, what do you want? What do you want from us? And they say this, so what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Now, I have to unpack this for you a little bit because we read that and we want to get to verse 8 fast and we don't really hear all of what's going on here and we might not truly understand all that's going on here, so let me try and explain it to you. So Israel's focus is on the external religious practices, even some that are from other religions, right? They they do crazy things, and these crazy practices have even become part of their expression of worship as well. And this progression, we can see religious zeal in. So now they're fired up. They're trying to say to God, okay, we realize that we have really dropped the ball, that our relationship with you is not where it should be. So God, what do you want from us? Should we give more burnt offerings, which would have been part of their religious experience and practice? And then you can almost hear another voice say, well, not just burnt offerings. Should we, should we give offerings, burnt offerings of year-old calves? Now, that doesn't make any sense to most of us because you're not a farmer, right? You're not raising cattle. The reality is a newborn calf is not worth the same as a year-old calf. Make sense? So someone's saying, well, not just a burnt offering of a baby calf, but we're going to up the ante a little bit. God, would it be okay if it costs more? Should we, should we pay more for our sins? Should we burn uh, and, and, and give this offering of a, of a lamb that is, or a calf that is a year old? And then someone says, well, how about not just one? How about, how about thousands of rams? Is that what we should do to atone for our sins as a nation? And then you hear it gets really crazy. Someone else is like, well, how about... 10,000 rivers of olive oil, right? They're like, this whole thing is growing now. And now, watch this. Someone else says then, should we give our firstborn son to atone for what we've done? This is just helping us to understand how lost the nation of Israel really was. Because this is foreign worship practice to a different God that they would offer even their children in sacrifice and so you can see how convoluted their expression and their relationship with God had been. They're, they're a mess. What should we do to earn God's favor? We can kind of fall into this as well. We need to worship more. We need to pray more. Maybe even not fall asleep while you're praying. We need to read more, right? If I could spend just an hour reading and praying, or maybe two. If I can, if I can go to church more. Maybe I should go to Saturday and Sunday, right? 
Give more in the offering, serve more. But see, here's the deal. There are many people who are professing to be believers in Christ and have maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago had a conversion experience where the gospel message really changed them, where they understood God's love for them and the need to say yes to him and accept what he had done. There was a genuine and valid, valid response to the gospel, but they've lapsed into kind of a mundane and maybe even at a point where they're no longer actually even connected with their hearts. I would guess that maybe there would even be someone that's here today that just kind of found their way here and said, man, I just need to get some stuff fixed. I'm not where I should be in my relationship with the Lord. I need to get back on track. It's clear from the context of this passage of Scripture that it's not that somehow God was denying that sacrifice is something that was important, because it was, but not sacrifice in the way that they were thinking. If you have your journey guides out, I want you to write down our main thought for this weekend, which is this. God desires my heart right rather than my religious right. Please write that down. You see, it's not about this religious expression as much as it is about your heart because here's what happens. Here's what happens. Look at Mike, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, the prophet is saying, and he's speaking of God, he has shown you. You should already know this. If you're paying attention, you understand your history and my relationship with the nation of Israel. He has already shown you. He has shown you. Oh, mortal, what is good? Here's what is good. You ready? We should all be sitting up right now, pen sharpened, ready to go. Here it is, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Are you ready? Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, it started with the gospel and the way the gospel changes us. And listen carefully, this is not, this is not a, sh- a social justice gospel where we're just attacking society, society's ills. That's not what this is about. This is about a heart change. God says that he doesn't need or not need. He doesn't desire or not desire religious rites or sacrifices or obligations. Instead, here's what he's saying. He wants Israel to be passionate about justice, mercy, and humility. You see, the answer to Israel's sin problem is not some more extravagant form of sacrifice. It's not taking it to a new level. It's really about your heart the answer was something much deeper than any religious observance it was a change of heart because you see if you don't have a changed heart all the religious practice in the world doesn't make you any better does it it doesn't fix anything we see that all the time as a matter of fact what's what's one of the number one commentaries that folks have when you say hey um why don't you come with me to church which i hope you're saying they'll say i don't know if i want to go over there that's just a whole bunch of Hypocrites, right? They'll say that. Why? Why do they say that? Because sometimes we practice religion, but our hearts aren't there. We say that this stuff matters, but it's not really changing the way that we live our lives. And so I get why oftentimes I get it because of my own life. I get it. And oftentimes that commentary is true. And what God was saying to the nation of Israel, he's saying to us today, listen, it's not about what you do. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. Please don't make it about what you do. Please make it about your heart. And that's how we can have God's favor. Without our hearts right, our religion is hypocrisy as well. Because God desires my heart right 
rather than my religious right. So this week, we're going to take a closer look at what it means to act justly. What does that mean, to act justly? How do we do that well? What I want you to see, first of all, is that this really matters to God because when we act justly, we are, we are a reflection of the heart of our God because he's a just God. Over the last uh, several months, one of the things that I've been doing in my devotional time is really taking my time to work through the Psalms again. And I want to read a few Psalms to you today that help communicate God's passion for justice. Psalm 33, 5, He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. Psalm 97, 2, the last part of the verse. I want you to see a connection here. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation that he has built his throne upon. Psalm 106.3, there is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. God says, I love justice and blessed are those that love justice as well. It's interesting to me when you see here in the Psalms that justice and righteousness are connected together. So I, I, I did a little looking into that this, this week, and you'll be maybe interested, at least I was, to know that in the New Testament, there's one word for both of those words. The one Greek word means both of those things, both justice and righteousness, because they are connected. They're connected. You see, righteousness, righteousness is being right with God, isn't it? Being right with God. But justice is the way that we treat other people. They go together. When you're right with God, you treat people differently. And that's what this justice piece looks like. Justice is the other's focused side of righteousness. What is justice? You might want to write this down. When I value every human being as highly as I value myself. Seeing every human being the way that Jesus did. Regardless, regardless of who they are and where they're from. Never treating any other person like they have any less worth than me. Regardless of, and this is the hard part, what they believe and how they behave. And this can be hard. This can be hard. Maybe, maybe you're a mom and you got young kids, right? And uh, I know how this works because I've seen it. Um, mom with young kids and you're on the phone. You're in the car. And you're trying to keep the peace with the kids at the same time, right? This is a big job. You're trying to make sure that you get where you're going. The radio is on. And there's a lot of distractions, and I'm sure, inevitably, this might happen. You might make a little bit of a hasty turn and maybe cut somebody off, and then you get a very beautiful salute, don't you? Yeah. And the first thing that goes through your mind is, do you have any idea what's going on over here? Like, I'm trying to keep this family together. I'm on the phone. The radio's too loud. I'm trying to make sure I'm going the right way, and I'm keeping the peace back here. Can you just calm down, right? Not realizing what you're doing but oftentimes we have no idea what's going on in someone else's life too, how quickly we want everyone to understand our circumstance, right? Without thinking about someone else's circumstance. Maybe, maybe there's uh, someone at work that's been short, short with you, or you're at a store, right, and you know you're heading towards the 15 items or less lane, and the guy who obviously has more than 15 dashes in front of you, and you're like, oh, no, you don't right? Maybe sometimes there can be some other circumstances that are taking place in these people's lives and we rise up fast. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that 
um, months and months ago when we were planning our sermon series out. Uh, we try and do that um, for the year, obviously leaving some space for things to change a little bit. But this was a, a message series that I really wanted to do because I love this verse. And I would have had no idea that when this landed on our calendar, we would be facing in our culture the things that we're facing today. Had no idea, but it's so appropriate. So appropriate. Part of the answer to this crazy, I mean, just, I mean, it's almost, seriously, you have to agree with me that it's almost to the point where you didn't even want to turn the news on anymore. Because it's bad news, right? Bad news. People, for all kinds of crazy reasons, just random acts of violence, and it, it just breaks our hearts when we see this and. And this week, it's some guy plowing into a crowd of people in a huge truck, killing lives senselessly. And we, we see this. How would we ever have known in preparation for our series this year that this would land on a, on a, in a season, in a week, where we would really need to hear that part of the solution is that we just would need to understand that we have to have the heart of our God. That we treat everybody, regardless of who they are, where they're from, what they look like, what they say, what they don't say, what they believe, or even how they behave with the love of our God. You know, we don't know everybody's story, and I was reminded of this. This week I was thinking about the reality of this. When we first moved to Castle Rock, we moved in in July to Castle Rock, and it was in December that I got a phone call from my neighbor whose son was supposed to just be graduating from school with a degree in aeronautical engineering at the mid-break of semester, so kind of in the middle, uh, right after, right before Christmas, and he called me. We were pretty close. Um, he called me, and he said, Doug, when we got to campus to, um, to meet our son, um, the ambulance was in front of his apartment, and he had just committed suicide. And he said, Doug, will you please come to Iowa? Of course. I'll, whatever I can do, you know, I'll figure it out. We got a flight, and I flew out to Iowa as quickly as I could. Here's what I remember overwhelmed because we love this kid. He was part of our lives, and he was an amazing, amazing um, older kid in our neighborhood that cared for my boys and taught him how to skateboard and stuff, and just a good kid. I remember seeing his dad walking down the hallway of the airport, thinking about what was going on in his life and seeing the crowd of people around him with no idea what that daddy was facing. None. Grieving, senseless loss of his son's life, trying to make sense of something that you'll never make sense of. Thinking about, wow, man, the whole world is spinning around him, has no idea what that guy's dealing with. And the people that you and I come in contact, I, I, I hope they're not dealing with something like that, but they might be. And you see how quickly we lose perspective, right? Because we're really pretty narcissistic, aren't we? And we, we don't think about what's happening in other people's lives enough even sometimes to pay attention, even people we know well, people you might work with. When you see that look in someone's eyes and you realize, man, they're not doing okay. Gosh, we have to care. When we see someone that's not being treated fairly, we have to jump into the middle of that and do everything that we can to help. Here's what I do know. Every single one of us that are here today you want to be treated fairly, don't you? You want to be treated justly, don't you? Of course, of course you do. So what is it that is required of us? That we would act justly. That we would care. That we would notice. And when something's not right, we'll do what we can, even if it's little, to do what we can to fix it. 
So we understand that part of justice is to stand up for what's right, to punish those who commit crimes, abuse women, traffic children, um, deal drugs, steal, kill. We understand that. That's part of justice. But also part of justice is when we hear about the needs in the world around us that we have an opportunity to make a difference in, that we step and we lean into that. And listen, I am so proud to pastor this church because we get that and we have a history of that. We, when we hear of needs, we get involved like those envelopes that are in front of you today. An opportunity for us to make a difference in a school that has the most children on supplemental meals in our county. That bothers me. We need to do something about that. We need to help the school and we need to help these families. We have a responsibility and we just have a team that just came back with Pastor Stephen from Honduras and they got to see some of the kids that we are now sponsoring. It's awesome to hear the stories and to see the videos and it's fun. Stephen, I'll share you. What's your little guy's name again? Sorry, I put you on the spot. Angelo. He saw Angelo and he, he thought Angelo. He's like, hey, that's got to be Angelo. Are you Angelo? And he said, no. <laughs> he's like, really? You're not Angelo? You look like Angelo. I'm not Angelo. And Stephen speaks Spanish, so he's talking. He's probably just intimidated by, you know, a middle-aged white guy. And, uh, and so then he had gifts and Angelo became Angelo. <laughs> The Philippines, kids that we can help take care of. And if you come with me to, to uh, Uganda and see the needs that are there, or the Philippines, or Kenya, India, oh man, India will break your hearts when you see the needs of people around our world. Because people matter to God. There's situations here in the U.S. where people are mistreated and oppressed. And what responsibility do we have? Listen, here's the crazy thing. In God's divine order, which we'll never completely figure out, you got dropped in the U.S. And this is one of the most wealthy nations in the world. Do you realize if you make $50,000 or more a year, you're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. But we don't see it that way, do we? Because you see the guy on the other street that you really want to live in driving the car you really want to drive and think, I'm not doing so well. But we are extravagantly blessed, and with that comes a responsibility to be a blessing to those that are in need as well, because all people matter to God. This is so important. Justice doesn't allow us to not care about people in need. So, exactly. Talked about that last service. Actually, it's right here in my notes next. It's awesome. And uh, Lee was here. Lee Schaefer was here. He's a Plum Creeker who has been connected with a ministry called Kairos, and several men from our church go to visit inmates in prison and put on a weekend uh, gathering of inmates where they share the gospel message with them. It is powerful to hear the stories of the conversations that take place with these men that are behind bars. Why do we do that? Because people matter, right? People matter to God. Let me read to you 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. So let's not just love with words. Let's love by the way we treat each other. In James chapter 2, verse 15, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Here, here's the deal. 
I really believe, because I know most of you, I know some of you well, that you actually care. You care about people. You care about those in need. And I've shared this with you before, but I believe that there's a call on us to be prepared to help. We need to be prepared to help. And oftentimes we'll see a need, and because we're not prepared, we miss an opportunity. So my challenge to you is to figure out the denomination and get you a bill that goes in your pocket, and before it goes in your pocket, you have a little conversation with God. And you say, Lord, maybe it's $100, maybe it's 50, maybe it's a 20. This is not my $100 bill. This is your $100 bill. I wanna be ready. And I'm gonna put this in my pocket, and I realize that this $100 bill, and more importantly, me, are on a mission from God. And when you speak to me, I just wanna be ready. So make sure that you have that ready to roll. Because oftentimes we'll see a need and we're not ready, and then we'll miss an opportunity. So you just make sure that you set something aside so that you're ready, because you have a heart to help, but you're not ready. So our response to all that God has done, and see, this is where that whole idea of changed lives, changing lives, comes to fruition. You see, because when God has truly changed us, then we have to be part of his team to be his hands and feet and his heart and his concern and his care for this world around us. And in Matthew 25, there's a story of the sheep and the goats. Maybe you've seen this before. Write down Matthew 25, because I want you to go back and take a look at that later this week. Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, they're talking about the end times, and Jesus is teaching, and he says, there are going to be some sheep, and there's going to be some goats. The sheep will be on my right, the goats will be on my left. And when he addresses the the, uh, sheep that are on his right, he's going to say, well done, well done. And we've talked about that. I talked about last week. That's what we want to hear God say to us, right? Well done. They're going to, what, what do you mean, well done? Well, he's going to say, you saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me naked and you gave me clothes. You saw me without a house and you gave me a place to sleep. And he's going to say it to the goats on the left, hey, um, depart from me. Depart from me. I'm going to say, well, wh- why? He's going to because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I didn't have a place to live and you didn't take me in. And then they're going to say this. They're going to say, what what are you talking about? When did I ever see you hungry? When did I ever see you without without clothing? And I want you to read with me Jesus' response. Look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 44. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? Look at verse 45. This is a chilling answer. He will answer there, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever, whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me, and you failed to do it to me. You see, there's a grand separation that's going to take place between people, and when the end of the world comes, we want to hear him say, well done, Why? Why would we be surprised? When did you see me like this, we might say. And Jesus will say, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And this, friends, is why justice matters. This is why we have to have the heart of our God. This is why we must care about others as much as we care about ourselves. And we're going to take communion today because I really believe living this way is a direct response of the gospel's change that it's done in us. When we truly embrace, fully embrace, and be reminded of God's goodness to us, oh my goodness, listen, we have to respond. So our ushers are gonna help us
to be able to hand out our communion elements. So if you can uh, help us do that now, that would be great. I think they're here, maybe not. They'll be here in just a minute. They'll hand them out. While they're doing that, I, I want to make sure that you don't confuse what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is that there's somehow that you can be uh, saved by the works that you that you do in your life. That's not it at all. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. You see, Micah was confronting this like overzealous religious expression without a right heart, because it's really about our hearts. Uh, we're saved through faith. We can't earn our way to heaven, but we have been created to do good things. We've been created to have our God's heart and to care about those that are in need. Here's what I would say. I know you're distracted because they're handing out the communion elements. But if you evaluate, which I'm going to ask you to do, and look at your life, and you can't see something inside of you that's kind of this like righteous, kind of standing up for justice thing in you, you have to ask yourself where you're at in your faith. Because God says we need to have his heart, and that is his heart. You see the people on the left, they didn't do bad things. They just did nothing. It's not enough to not do bad things because God's calling us to do something. Jesus said there's a day when this is all going to be sorted out and we're going to be held accountable. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. I have nice things. You have nice things. That's not what we're saying. And we know we can't feed and clothe everyone, can we? But we can help some. God desires my heart to be right rather than my religious right. And so let's, let's just talk about the motivation of the heart for just a minute. So you hold your communion elements there. Again, reminded of his blood that was shed and his body that was broken for you, which we've heard so many times that I'm afraid it loses its significance. But we need to be reminded of that today. And so I wonder, I wonder how we could express a heart that wants to be like God's this week. How can, you, how can you fight for justice this week? What is it that you could do? Students, maybe you have a friend that would just be, just be in need of a, of a conversation, maybe a cup of coffee, maybe you go out for lunch, because you just know they're struggling a little bit. They're hurting. And you know about it. You do have a little free time right now. What if you just called them and reached out to them and just said a few encouraging words and let them know you care? What about, what about that employee of yours that you know is struggling, going through a hard time, and you've just been too busy to let them know that you care? Or maybe even... Even worse, there's someone that you work with that you know, when you think about this message and being treated the way that you would want to be treated, that hasn't been the way it's gone down. And this week, you might need to just apologize. Maybe you need to fight for people the way our God would. Because, you know, there are some leaders that like to hold people down. There are others that help people rise to a whole new level. Or maybe it's your neighbor had a barking dog early like I did and they just need to be extended some grace and keep their dog quiet 
Maybe it's a family member that you know you haven't treated well. Something needs to be fixed or maybe it's that you need to step up and you know God's told you to do something to make a difference in someone's life and you haven't done it. Maybe it's simply to just make sure that you're intentional. You're going to grab a $20 bill, $50, $100, whatever it is and stick it in your pocket and be on assignment from God. Listen, he's done so much for us. All he's asking is for us to have his heart, to care about people the way he does. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? Father, we thank you today for your blood that was shed, for your body that was broken. And we pray today as we examine our hearts that you would speak to us. Lord, we can all apply this in some way. Gosh, when we go to the mechanic, we sure want to be treated fairly. But then sometimes we don't treat others fairly. Will you change that in us, God? Will you help us to care? Will you help us to take time to see? To see what's going on in people's eyes so that we can care about what's going on in their lives? As we have opportunity, Lord, as a church, even to make a difference, whether it's something simple like helping South Elementary or something like sponsoring children on the other side of the world, caring for our community. God, will you help us to do that well? We want your heart. And the reason we do that is because all that you've done for us. We thank you for your body that was broken. Will you take the bread and his blood that was shed? If you just keep your head bowed just for a couple of minutes here, Craig's going to keep playing. Will you do this? Because I believe God will speak to you today if you give him a chance. Just ask him this question. God, how can I be just this week? What do you want me to do? How can I have your heart? How can I care like you? Just ask him. Give him a few seconds to speak to you, to confirm in your heart how you could apply this this week. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, congratulations. We are so excited for you, and we'd love to equip you with some resources, some next steps, and a complimentary gift. Just text the word FAITH to 40650. And if today you just need to talk to someone or would like to have someone pray with you, you can call our church office at 303-663-1714. And one of our pastors would be happy to spend some time with you. From everyone here at Plum Creek, have a great day.